So I've been asked to speak on biblical proclamation. It's a big subject. And I got a lot of ground to cover here, and there's just really almost no way for me to be able to uh, cover it all. I don't even know altogether everything that uh, I, I, I know there are things I want to say. I just keep going back to my notes, and I keep adding things. And honestly, those of you who are blank freaks, you know who you are. You're just kind of obsessive. I've got to get every, every blank filled in. You just may go to bed with your eyes wide open tonight because you didn't get them all filled in, all right? And uh, I can be bought after the service or after our session if you, if you need uh, those blanks filled in. You know, our Lord Jesus was a preacher. Amen. Jesus was a preacher. He was a teacher. Can I tell you this? Somebody says, you know, there's a difference between teaching and preaching. I know what they mean by that. I really do. I know what they mean by that. But can I tell you, you're not preaching if you're not teaching. You know, you could come by and look through these glass doors and see some guy up here just pounding and ranting and raving, spitting and carrying on, and you could say, boy, that guy's preaching in there, isn't he? Maybe. He, he may be just spitting, and uh, he may be just slapping the pulpit and carrying on. Is he helping anybody? Is he teaching the Word of God? Would you look at Mark 1 with me? We're going to kind of be in various spots. And I know, again, you're, you're looking at notes here and you're thinking you're going to get to some of these things. Yeah, I plan on it. Mark 1. I just want you to see the example of Jesus. Look at verse 21. And they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, his teaching. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. William Hendrickson said, uh, studying back in church history and in the first century, studying the lives of the scribes, he said people were bored with the teaching of the scribes. That they were just boring. They were dry and dusty and they just... They just droned on and so forth. And he said many times, scribe A would quote scribe B, and then scribe B would be join the kindness and, and quote scribe A. And they just, you know, and people just, because they were trying to earn their way to God, they would endure this. And then along came Jesus. Amen. Man, what a thrill it would have been to hear him teach, wouldn't it? He taught. And they were astonished. Then it goes on to say that he healed a man, and uh, with that was filled with that was a demon, demon possessed. And then uh, he goes to Simon's home, Peter's home, and he raises up Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, in the morning. Verse thirty-five. He gets up in the morning before day and and goes out and he prays. Now he's up early, early in the morning, having a season of time with his father. Look at verse thirty-six. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him, and when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. Now get the picture. The night before, Jesus had had a crowd of people. In fact, the Bible says all of Capernaum came to Peter's home to be healed and to be helped by this remarkable man, Jesus, this teacher. And so here are the disciples, Peter in particular, is thinking, Hey, Let's make something out of this. Hey, all people are looking for you, Jesus. Come on, let's get on back. Look how Jesus responded, verse, verse 38. 
And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. I'm hearing the same alarm that some of you are hearing. Brother Brad, would you just make sure that's not my car out there? Uh, I was... Uh, is it next door, you think? Okay, okay. All right. I got robbed this morning. Someone stole my catalytic converter off my, off my vehicle, and the alarm went off, so it's kind of made me a little uh, sensitive here. So uh, uh, I, I'm hearing that alarm. So if it's next door, it's next door. Okay. Okay, all right, good enough. May help people stay awake, you know. Sometimes it's music next to Oh, man. Jesus is our example. Notice he said, let's go to the next little villages. When he says towns, he's talking about little villages. And he's saying there, he's saying, uh, let, let's go there uh, because I got to go preach because that's why I've come. I've come to preach. Now, don't get the idea that it's either or. Should we spend time one-on-one discipling and, and taking time to uh, pouring our life into people, or should we focus on preaching? It's not either or, it's both and. I learned a long time ago that the people that I was investing time with <clears throat> one-on-one in my office and and over a, over a Dr. Pepper and taking time just to uh, try to get to know them and, and pour my life into them, I found out that, that those who were going to grow the most were also in attendance for the church services. If you can't get them to come to church, they're probably not going to be really able to, they're not going to want to sit down and, and be discipled. They, they're going to do both. And when the, when the first church was established, you remember the schedule was just getting rapidly picked up more and more and more. And, and the disciples, the apostles, were greeted with, you know, how about, these, how about the widows? What are we going to do about the widows? And, and they finally said, we got to get some help. we got to delegate some of these responsibilities out because we will give ourselves to the Word and to prayer. And you men and ladies too, you've got kids and so forth. There are things pulling for your time and attention. I mean, you just get pulled, and I can—I know the feeling. After a week of running to hospitals and counseling and emergencies, the tyranny of the urgent, all the things that happen, here comes Saturday. What in the world am I going to preach on tomorrow? Oh, God, help. <laughs> and the reason you're laughing is because you've been there. More often than not, thank you, gentlemen. After you left, Pastor said he thinks it's next door, but anyway. He's always right. That's why he's in your church, isn't he? Pastor's always right, yeah. <laughs> May your tribe increase in every church in America, I'm telling you. I don't have no idea where, where I was. <laughs> Jesus was a preacher. Amen. And he showed that he spent time with those 12 guys and he discipled them one on one. But he was also a Bible proclaimer. He was a preacher Amen. and a teacher. Yes. 
So don't get the idea that preaching is only taking place when you raise your voice and when you get animated. No, I mean, I don't know about you. I've, I've been moved greatly by some preacher who never lifts his voice and his voice range may be kind of uh, narrow. Isn't it amazing how God uses different people in different ways? And don't ever get the idea that if you're going to be a good preacher, you must be like some guy that you've admired, somebody that you've listened to. Don't, don't, don't get caught. Young men, don't get caught up in that. I did. I mean, we'd have, we'd have somebody come and preach at our church, and I'd just go, wow, oh, man, what a preacher. And I'd notice that they would, they would while they were preaching, they'd stick their hands in their pockets, you know, and they'd be like that. And I found myself the next Sunday preaching to my young people, sticking my hands in my pocket, thinking that there was some kind of a magic trick in doing that, you know. We had one evangelist. He'd get behind the pulpit, and, I, and sitting on the platform, our auditorium was just packed with people, so there's no room to, we had to sit on the platform. Whenever he got behind the pulpit, he'd put his hands on the pulpit, and he'd lift himself up and stand on his tiptoes. And he'd preach like this, you know. And when he got away from the pulpit, he'd come back down on his feet and do like this. But when he got behind the pulpit, back up on his tiptoes again. Well, there I went next Sunday, <laughs> standing up on my tiptoes. Finally, I, I realized it was because he was so short. <laughs> and he couldn't see over those average pulpit. He was pulling himself up to see. That's all. That's all he was doing. So don't get caught up in watching mannerisms of somebody saying that's, no, you got to be you. Filled with the Holy Spirit, you must be you. Let me share my heart. Every effective preacher should be seeking to improve their preaching. Always striving to advance and improve in your preaching. Never content with where you are. I, friends, I'm going to tell you, I, there's ne- to me, there's never enough time. There's never enough hours. There's never enough uh, time for me to spend time in the Word and in the books to be able to be well prepared for a service. I mean, I'm just constantly longing for more. On any given Sunday, you will watch the greatest of athletic quarterbacks and just whoever you pull for. These are guys that have spent the entire week watching, they call it watching tape, watching video of their opponent. And they're looking at their defenses and how they, uh, how they uh, blitz and nickel packages and dime packages. I'm trying to act like I know what I'm talking about. But, I mean, they, they, all the different layouts and who rushes and where does that guy that always – uh, sacks a quarterback. Where does he line up? And and they're studying, observing, and they've learned. They've watched hours of video. You know it. And what do you see on any given Sunday? The quarterback moves the team down the field, may even score and 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 make a touchdown, and, or whatever the case may be. What do you see them do? They come over the sideline, and they take a few high fives, helmet off, ball cap on, and somebody. In the old days, it used to be a notebook. Now it's an iPad, and they'll sit there and they're looking. Is there something I missed? Is there somebody that's in, you know, what happened on that play? And they got a video in front of them uh, and snapshots of the game that they're in the midst of that they just scored on. They're trying to improve. Well, how dare an NFL quarterback work harder 
than a person who's trying to get behind the pulpit and explain the Word of God and see lives changed. They're living for some little temporal trophy at the end of the year. None of us should be content with our preaching. We should be constantly working at improving. Lives are at stake. And I'm going to tell you, it starts off, first and foremost, it starts off with us getting a growing, more intimate knowledge of our God. What good is it for us to get up and, and just dump on people a lot of facts from the Scriptures and not come from the heart of God, not having spent time with the Lord and knowing Him in a more intimate way? I, I said on Sunday here to the church, I thank God that I got cancer three years ago. I know that may sound odd, but I thank God I got it. I'm also thanking the Lord every day that I'm in remission. Amen. I mean, I'm telling you, gentlemen and ladies, I mean, I'm t I climb stairs and I go, I remember when I couldn't do this. I mean, it's silly, but I can remember when I was getting blood clots in my legs because of the medicine and, 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 and the hurting. And, and I cry all the time. Some of the medicine that I have to take just makes me, I can watch an ant crawl across the floor and I go, bless his heart. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I am a sap. It's really, I mean, I watch some commercial and I go, <laughs> you know, for insurance or something. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But the thing I thank the Lord for most of all is the long, long hours I got to spend with him. Amen. I didn't have to watch my watch and say, when do I preach again? When, when do I, what's my next appointment with the pastor? When do I preach in the chapel? When do I preach? You know, I got to start studying for the service tonight. The only appointment I had were doctor's appointments and a hospital stay. And the rest of the time I was just in books and in my Bible and with my God. I'd go out for a walk and I'd say to my wife, I'd say, I'm going to go for a walk. She knew what that meant. I'd just walk around and talk to the Lord. Can I just tell you something? I thank God that I had that opportunity. Let me quote a man. Most of all, he says, this is a quote, effective preachers must be on fire for God. You don't have this in your notes, so just listen to it. They must be consumed with a holy zeal for His absolute holiness. They must be absorbed with a burning passion for His glory. The more you love God, the better you will preach His Word. Do not let anything quench your fire for Him. Live in His Word. Commune with Him in prayer. Adore His greatness. Confess all known sin. Be a quick repenter. Trust Him explicitly. Magnify His name. Extol His greatness. Long for His fellowship. Did you catch that? He said, in order to be an effective preacher, this is utmost, first and foremost, what needs to be in our lives. First of all, it starts with a growing knowledge of your Lord. And then secondly, uh, we should grow in our knowledge of humanity and the needs of our culture. What a culture we find ourselves in today. The moral collapse of our world is, is breathtaking. The woke culture. The, I don't even know if I can get all the letters down. The LGBTQIA 
uh, XYZ plus, you know, I mean, it goes on and on. You know, we've offended everybody and we must feel the guilt of it. What is the need for all these people screaming for, uh, for, for all of their hurts and, and all of their desires to find a purpose? For, what is their need? The Word of God. Yes. They need the gospel. You know, lawyers and congressmen can pass a law and say we were go we're going to require such and such to happen so that uh, this particular culture, this particular race, this particular transgender person can be treated right and so forth. You, you can pass a law, and I may have to abide by that law, but my heart hasn't been changed. I will do what I'm supposed to do in order to not get arrested or, or whatever the case may be. The only thing that's going to change my heart or your neighbor's heart or the world's heart is the gospel of Amen. Jesus Christ. It always comes back to the fact that people need the Lord. And so we, we're doing a big job. In a Sunday school class teaching children, teaching other ladies and whatever, ladies, you've got a big job. It is huge to proclaim the Word of God. We're all at different stages of development. We're all at different stages in our preaching and teaching. My very first ministry was down in the Tampa, Florida area. I came out of college. The man who was interviewing me to be his youth pastor said to me after we talked about some things, he said, now, he said, just tell me, if, you, if I hire you to be my youth pastor, what, what will you do with our young people? What's your game plan? What's your vision? What is your philosophy? And I said, well, I'm going to just tell you what I think. I, I've not done it before, but I'm just going to share my heart. I said, I'm going to do what I can to get involved with their lives, and I'm going to preach. I said, they need the Word of God. And you know something? He looked at me like, are you going to do anything else? Yeah, yeah, we'll have activities and events and trips and do things. And I, I believe in all that. But I said, at the forefront must be the proclamation of the Word of God. Amen. And I thank God that he gave me a chance and let me come. And I was there for 14 years. I was at, at a church oh, several years ago that had a uh, uh, church and... Uh, Christian school. I, should, I was going to say they had a Christian school, but the youth pastor who was wearing many hats uh, was somewhat new, and the pastor took me out for lunch. This is a senior pastor. He takes me out for lunch, and something very odd happened in our conversation. He was talking to me about his new youth pastor. I wasn't that new anymore being working with young people, and he said to me, he said, now look, he said, would you spend time with my youth pastor this week? I said, I'd be glad to. I mean, absolutely. He said, I need you to give him a list of games and activities that will, and a quote, that will help produce godly teenagers. I laughed. I said, yeah. And I noticed he wasn't laughing. And I went, you're serious. He said, yeah, I'm serious. I need you to give him some games and activities that will produce godly kids. I said, Pastor, a game and an activity doesn't produce godly kids. It's a tool to get kids to come to the church property or wherever you're going to be and to have that activity and to have fun, but you get them there for the preaching and the proclamation of the Word of God. I wouldn't give you two cents for a camp that puts all their emphasis upon 
fun and games and activities and so forth, and they just say, hey, we'll squeeze in a devotional here. I want to go to a place where they protect the pulpit and make much of that place. Uh, you've got in your notebook there, I, I, I'm, again, I know I'm out of whack on this thing, but you've got the, the verse there in Ezra. Look down at the bottom of first page one. It says, look at this, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Notice what it says. Number one, he prepared his heart. He spent time privately long before he had the opportunity to stand up in, in uh, especially in the book of Nehemiah where he stands for half of a day preaching the Word of God. And I try to use that as my own model. Uh, you know, uh, where, he, uh, where he read the Scriptures and explained the Scriptures and so forth. My, my, here, here's the, he, he, first of all, he prepared his own heart. He sought the Lord first and foremost. And when given the opportunity, he was ready to go. But not only did he study it, Ladies and gentlemen, don't miss this. He lived it. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to live a holy life and an exemplary life. It says he, he didn't just prepare his heart to seek the law of the Lord. He did it. He lived a godly life. How many times are we going to say this? It's, the, 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 the godly life is caught as much as it's, it's taught. And people are watching you in your places of responsibility and leadership, and they're learning from you. You're not perfect. And that's the best thing for you to say to anybody. Look, man, I'm no example. I'm just fighting my flesh, and I'm struggling to be faithful to the Lord as much as you are. Here's what I've learned. Come follow me as I seek to follow the Lord. Ezra studied, and then he lived it. He practiced it. He applied it personally. And he demonstrated it to others. And then at the end of that verse, he taught it. He studied it, he lived it, and he taught it. When given opportunity to, to proclaim the truth of the Word of God, you teach it. I've already shown you here in Mark 1 where Jesus was a preacher. I don't know if you've still got the Bible open to Mark. Let me just read it to you if you don't. In Mark 2, the very next chapter, it says in verse 1, again, he entered into Capernaum. After some days, okay, so he's been out on a he's been out in a itinerant preaching in various villages, and it was noise that he was in the house, and straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. I, we want to be like Jesus. Well, Jesus made much of preaching, ladies. I know we're talking about men being preachers, but. There was a proclamation of the truth of the Word of God. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the place of preaching. We'll get back to those quotes in a minute. The place of preaching. Now look over at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is nearing the end. He's rounded the last lap on his life and he knows it. And he understands that I'm nearing the end of my journey and he can see the finish line in sight. Maybe he could hear the executioner sharpening his axe out behind the, the jail prison. I don't know, but he, he's, he's writing this letter to Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, now finish strong, son, because I'm, I'm, I'm about to leave. 
And he says in chapter 3, and I'm not going to read a lot here, but it says here, This know also, he says, that in the last days, well, we're in those days, perilous times shall come. And he goes through this list. You've, you've preached it, you've taught it, you've read it. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, uh, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. So godliness can be faked. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. A godliness is a choice, that verse tells us. It can be faked having a form of godliness. And it's every individual's choice to truly have and godliness has power. He says it denying the power. Here's the deal. He says this is what's going to happen in the last days. All these conditions are going to be seen and we see it rapidly all the time. And he goes on to say, he goes, don't, he says, you continue in the things which you've learned from your mom and your grandmother and you've learned these things from a child and remember son, all scriptures given by inspiration. And then chapter four, he says, verse two, preach the word. Now, Timothy could have said, now what do I do about people who are, who are boastful and those who were disobedient to parents and those who, who are heady, high-minded? What do I do? And Paul said, um, preach the Word. Amen. What do they need? They need the Word of God. It's God's Word that's going to change their life. I don't tell this to everybody, but I keep a little card. This is not original with me. I keep this in my Bible. I look at it just when I'm finished studying before going to preach, and I look at it just before I go into the pulpit. These are some thoughts, and I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not going to read all of it to you, but these are things that I try to remember when I go to preach and prepare to preach. And the, first of all, I preach first to myself. Number two, I preach from my heart to reach their heart. Number three, don't try to impress. Try to help. Number four, I try to use a tone, use a tone of encouragement. I told you I'm not going to read all these things, but every time I read one, I think I'm glad I said that one. <laughs> no. Five, people are more distressed than they're letting on to be. I'll stop with this one. The power is in the Word, not me. Preach the Word. And the fact is, when it comes to the place of preaching, when you read a passage like this in Timothy 3 and 4, you can only read the passage and sense that the, these truly are the days in which we live in. Every generation, whether it was the days of Reconstruction after the Civil War, the, uh, the Roaring Twenties, and then the Great Depression, and the World War eras of time, and and then you get to the baby boomers, of which I'm one, and you come to the baby busters, and you got the, uh, the generation Xers and the generation Ys, and now we got everything's blamed on millennials, you know? Okay, all right, every generation has a little name tag. What do they need? The Word of God. People have asked me through the years, hey, I've got a neighbor who's a, who's a Mormon. And I'd like to get the gospel to them, but how do you witness to a God, to a Mormon? And I just said, 
<laughs> Give them the gospel. Amen. You just tell them that God is holy and they're sinners and Christ paid what they could not pay. Yeah, but they're Mormon. Yeah, yeah, they need the gospel. Amen. Release the gospel. Amen. Yeah, but how do, how do I witness to an atheist? Give them the gospel. Yeah, but they say they don't believe in the Bible. Give them the Bible. It's a sword. Unsheath it. Turn it loose. Wasn't it Spurgeon who said, uh, the word of God's a lion. Just open the cage. He'll defend himself. Open up the word of God. It'll defend itself. And let the word of God be released into people's lives. These quotes, I I ran across them years ago. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, is it not clear as you take a bird's eye view of church history, that the decadent periods and eras in the history of the church have always been those periods when preaching had declined. What is it that heralds the dawn of a reformation or of a revival? Answer, it is renewed preaching. That's the answer. John Stott said, the pew is a reflection of the pulpit. Seldom, if ever, can the pew rise higher than the pulpit. Wow, that means I want to work harder at my pulpit time. And then this guy named Gustav Wingren, isn't that cool? Uh, the pro- a professor of theology at a university in Sweden called the University of Lund said this. I don't remember what year he said this. He says, and I love this quote, preaching has but one aim, Amen. that Christ may come to those who have assembled to listen. The word of the preacher is an attack on the prison in which man is held. Is it not fascinating that the Lord chose to use sinful mankind, humanity, to proclaim His Word? I mean, that, you, know, you would think, let the stars paint the message in the sky and just preach to people, you know? Let, let, let the wind blow in with the voice that God controls. No, He, use, he uses men. To teach and preach and proclaim His truth. All I'm trying to say here is the place of preaching is a place that is extremely high in priority in the plan of God. The great revivals of history. You go study about history and the revivals of our country and across the world. The great revivals of history can usually always be traced back to the work in the pulpit. You say, how about prayer? Well, of course. Of course. Romans 10 tells us, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how shall they hear without a preacher, a proclaimer? So what's the definition of preaching? All right, you blank fanatics. (laughs) It's teaching and explaining the authoritative word with persuasion calling others to a life change. <laughs> I, I should have given this to those guys to put it up on the screen so you'd have it. So let me say it again. Teaching and explaining the authoritative Word of God with persuasion, calling others to a life change. In other words, there is the reading of the text, There's the explaining of the text. 
I'm just, this isn't what you, you, you can write it down. I'm not saying this is the definition, but it's a part of it. It's reading the text. It's explaining the text. It's applying the text. Supporting the text. Cross-references. And then urging from the text. I've gone to Bible conferences, and I think Bible conferences are incredibly helpful, very informative, very, very good. And, and the Spirit of the Lord teaches so much. But I've heard gifted men stand up and will teach maybe on, on, on uh, uh, eschatology, uh, uh, end times, and so forth. And they'll go through Revelation and Daniel and so forth. And you're sitting there going, oh, wow. You know, and you're taking gobs of notes and so forth. And when he's through teaching through uh, this passage, he says, well, my time is gone. Let's close in prayer. The preacher in me is saying, mm, apply something here, would you? I need to know, what do I do with this? Or I'm thinking, we need to know. Now, the Spirit of the Lord can teach. He's our number one teacher, of course. We've been called to preach. It's not just explaining. It's not just reading and explaining. There is the applying of the text. It's like this. I've said it for years. You hold up the Bible. You're saying, here's what the Bible says. Here's what it's saying. What are you going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? We better obey this. Oh, we better rejoice with this. We better go tell others about this. You know, there is a, uh, there is a, there is, maybe you could say a message of, of warning in our preaching and there's a message of hope and I want to be well balanced in those areas. I want to say watch out and be careful and, and get sin right with God but there's hope for you. There's mercy from the Lord and so forth. You just want to keep that in healthy balance and there's the application. That's the definition that I give for, for preaching. The answer for everyone who's in a prison of sin is to again preach the Word of God. The only thing that beats Preaching. The only thing that beats preaching is better preaching. I mean, we just got to get better at it. We got to get on with it. And so let's take a look at some things. So therefore, our preaching must be, first of all, it must be passionate. It's got to be passionate. In Mark 1, as I read to you a moment ago, Jesus said, no, no, I've got to go. I've got to go preach in other little villages. And when he taught and when he proclaimed the word, they said, no one's ever spoken like this. He wasn't boring. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he, he didn't speak in a way that people were uh, thinking, you know, when's this thing going to be over with? I mean, he, he was a guy who, he was a man who proclaimed the truth because he knew God personally. Or don't forget the fact that he got up early in the morning and think about it. He spent time with his father in prayer. You think about the prayer life of the Lord Jesus. He, he prayed for, for the Father to use him. And he prayed for the Father to use him to touch lives. He prayed for his disciples. He told Peter, I've prayed for you. It's, it's important that we pray for those who are listening to us and those who are under our care. And absolutely, we pray for them. It's okay to weep in our prayer time. Jesus prayed and then he went and preached. These were priorities in his life. Our preaching must be passionate. Romans 1 tells us, you remember what Paul said in Romans 1, he says it is the gospel. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. I'm going to keep that open in front of me so I can get it quoted just right. He also said, I am a debtor. 
He said, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. I'm trying to reach everybody because so much is in me is I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. That idea of being ready, he was saying, I'm leaning forward, just waiting for the opportunity to, to explode, to give the gospel out. Our preaching must be passionate. That's what Paul was saying here. I'm ready. I'm ready to cut loose and start preaching. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, he said. So therefore, can I tell you, our preaching and teaching must not be boring. Now, now, now that doesn't mean that we just do whatever we can to keep people, you know, entertained or something like that. No, 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 no. The Word of God is not boring. Preachers can be boring, but we need to make sure that they understand what the Bible is saying and how it's applied to their life. And so, therefore, the Bible is clearly not a boring book. The Bible is the answer for the needs of people. And thirdly, I already said this, the Bible is a sword, so turn it loose unsheath the sword. The sword, a sword, think about it, a sword penetrates. It cuts. And the sword protects. So use the sword to reach down into the soul of someone's life. A man walked into one of our services and I was preaching. And uh, he told me this after the service. I had just started, but I was preaching from Matthew 5 where the Bible speaks about that we are the light of the world. He walked in and he said, he was thinking, I live in darkness. I live in darkness. And he was looking for a place to sit while I was preaching this. And he went over and he sat down. And after the service, um, it really wasn't, uh, I mean, I gave the gospel, but it was a message for God's people. He came to me and and. Uh, and he said, I need whatever it is that you're preaching on here tonight, and, and I, I need this. He said, I have driven by this church scores of times. This is in Chicago. He said, I used to live in Hollywood, California. And he said, I was a movie producer. He said, it is a horribly wicked world. He said, I have lived in darkness. He says, when I walked in this building tonight, you start talking about our lives are to be a light. And he said, I want out of this darkness that I'm in. He got saved. That's the power of the Word. Just unsheath it. I wasn't even preaching. And those of you who are unsaved, you need, no, just unsheath the sword. You know, and just cut it loose. It needs to, our preaching therefore needs to be passionate. Number two, it needs to be practical. Practical. That is how to live life. How to, how, to, how, to, how to live a, a life of witness. We need to preach on winning others to the Lord. We need to, you know, there's, there's a place for how-tos in our preaching. Here's how you witness. Here's how you talk to somebody about the Lord. Here's giving your testimony and say it in a brief format and, and learn how to challenge them to think about there's a holy God you're going to be answering to. And, you know, you need to teach. You know, there's a place for practicality in our preaching. How to pray. We need to emphasize the matter of the, uh, how to live a life that's uh, uh, filled with devotion to the Lord, a life of studying the Word of God, how to live in victory, as we sang just a moment ago, how to get victory over temptation and sin. People uh, are discouraged. They're, they're handcuffed by sin's entrapment. And when they come to church, have you ever gone to a church service and you walked out you know, feeling lower than what you were before you came in? You know? And you, and you kind of get the feeling of, well, keep trying, Morris. 
Maybe by next week you'll have your act put together, you know? You know, there's a, there's a place for us to feel the wickedness of our sin, but there is hope for your life. And we need to be practical in our preaching. I said a while ago about the Bible conferences and people explaining uh, the Scriptures and then they just stopped. I thank the Lord for teaching like that. But you know, the sword, when you think about the sword, as one man put it, the sword has a handle, which means it needs to be used. (laughs) And so when we're preaching... We need to never forget, it's not just admire the beauty of this sword. Look at the sharpness and look at the silver shine and look at all this is, look at the value of this sword. It's wonderful. Use it and apply it to people's lives. Make it passionate, make it practical. And then number three, may our preaching be protected. Now, you say, what do you mean by that? Well, there's so many things I feel like I could say, and I, and I want to I be appropriate in, in how I, I say these things. Sometimes we don't make preaching a priority in some, in some of our ministries. Um, I, let me say this about Christian schools, okay? Uh, I'm all for Christian education. I'm very grateful for uh, the fact that my two boys knew nothing but Christian education all through the years. I'm grateful for that. But there have been times that I've been asked to preach in a Christian school chapel, and I've been told uh, when, I, when I get up there, I, I was told this one time, okay, uh, now the seniors have got to go have a senior uh, meal as soon as this uh, uh, chapel's over with. And then we need to have a band practice right after chapel and so forth. So you need to be done at the top of the hour. I said, okay. And after they got through all the announcements, they got through everything, all the introduction they did. Are you ready for this? I had 11 minutes. I can't even say hello in 11 minutes, you know. You know this about me. And I said, well, by the way, I had driven 45 minutes to be over there. So it was an hour and a half drive time. Okay, now that was an extreme case. You know what they did? They didn't protect the, the giving out of the Word of God. I wanted to say, why did you bring me? This is a waste of time. Okay, protect the pulpit. Protect your teaching and preaching time. Don't get mad at me, but start on time. Amen. Start your services on time. Why? Nobody knows usually what time you start, but they know what time you quit. <laughs> and the guy who's per blame saying, well, we kind of got out, we got out late today. Well, you start you started seven minutes late, okay? Now, are there circumstances that sometimes hinder it? Well, of course. The microphone doesn't work or you know, the pianist has got caught in traffic. Okay, 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 okay. All that plays into it. I get it. Protect your pulpit time. Sunday school classrooms, you stand in there, and I'm all for taking prayer requests, all for you going through spending that time one-on-one and enjoying people. But the next thing you know, when uh, you start finally opening up the Word of God and trying to teach it, you look down, you got 15 minutes. Can you get something done in 15 minutes? Sure. But the entire Sunday school class time was an hour. What have you done? We've done some important things. I get it. But if this is going to be a priority, we need to protect the pulpit. And I said here, the right setting. What do I mean by that? Well, the environment is to be appropriate for speaking. Now, as a youth man, I have preached in some strange places, all right? I have preached on buses, of course. I have preached in barns. 
I've stood on bales of hay. Okay, there, there are some fun places like that. I'm not saying that that's a that's a an issue that's a, a real problem, but it does need to be a continuance of that. Uh, I, I, you know, I, this this thing up here is as solid as a rock. I, you know, and I'm I'm grateful for that. But you know, honestly, I've been in some places that they give you a music stand. You know, okay, I, I'm this is a pet peeve. All right, it's a pet peeve of mine. I put my Bible and I put my notebook on there and the stand goes. It's not used to that kind of weight. And I'm going, okay, this must be a real priority to this church, you know. And you have to pull it back up and hang on to it or something like that because it's not prepared. You say, well, it's a young church. I get it. I get it. And if that's all they got, I'm not trying to be unkind or rude here, but think it through. Okay, my mind, would you stay with me? My mind often just leans toward teenagers because I spent so many years working with them. And again, I think about young people in Christian schools again. And I think to myself, when, an, when, when the school principal administrator comes up and says, all right, we're going to have a few songs, you know, uh, Brother Larry, come on up here. You know, Brother Larry's the uh, geometry teacher, math guy, you know, he's not a music guy. <laughs> And he goes, all right, let's sing Victory in Jesus. Oh, victory in Jesus. Pick up your songbook and sing in Jesus. You know, he's used to the classroom. You know, he's used to that. Do you want to demerit? It, my Savior. You know, boy, boy, are those kids really prepared for to hear the preaching of the Word of God? And then the administrator says, well, we're glad to have uh, Brother Morris here with us today. Here you go. Oh, okay. I don't need some big, in, in, you know, uh, explanation as to who I am, and then you, we all turn and we watch the administrator turn and walk out of the room. Why? Because it's not a priority. And if I'm a student sitting there thinking, if it's not important to him, it ain't important to me. And I spend seven or eight minutes trying to get the kids on my page to where they listen. Okay, are you protecting the pulpit? Think it through. Have the right setting. Have the right... Uh, environment is all I'm trying to say. Number two, letter B, have the right sound. Well, um, have good microphones, you know. There are circumstances to all these things I'm bringing up, but it needs to be a priority. You need to protect your pulpit. How good are you helping people if they can't hear you? Um, I, I preached one time on a boat. It was a youth activity. They were having a buffet and, uh, and a boat, a moonlight ride. This youth group on this boat had three decks. And, uh, <laughs> and I was on the middle deck, and you could see people down on the bottom deck, and you could see people on the upper deck, and I had people in front of me. And the microphone was, uh, I don't know, from... From 1832. I mean, I mean, it was ridiculous. It could, you could, the guys in front of me couldn't. They could hear me just with my normal voice. Th- th- this microphone did not cover the entire boat, and so I'm trying to speak, give a message. They had asked me to come and speak, so I'm speaking, and I'm looking up on the top deck, and I'm seeing couples pairing off. You know, teenagers pairing off, looking at the moon. Well. Of course they are. Come on, man. It's, it's, it's teenagers in love. And, they're, and, and I can't hear that guy preach, so why not enjoy what I've got out here, you know, with my girlfriend? I wanted my wife. 
I wanted, I, I wanted to go stand on the top deck myself. Now, they had thought through the activity. They had rented this beautiful boat. They had got, they brought in great food to feed these kids. Everything. It was a beautiful night. One thing, they didn't have a good sound. And, and I couldn't help any. You know, there were about, I don't know, seven or eight kids who sat down in front of me and they were eager to learn, so I just kind of focused in on them. They're the only ones who could hear me. But I'm just telling you, the preacher and me just wanted to, you know, <laughs> wring somebody's neck. They didn't think it through. And can I tell you something? It didn't even cross their mind. Yeah. After, the, after it was over, you know, hey, man, that was good, that was good. I wanted to say, did you not hear that the microphone didn't work? And no, it didn't even dawn on them. Why? It's just not a priority. Protect the pulpit. Have the right setting. Have the right sound. And let her see. Have the right schedule. By that I mean uh, in church, you know, I don't know, it, your announcement time. Um, there's a place for announcements. Not real sure why we produce a church bulletin with all the announcements and then we just stand up and read them all. I'm not real sure why we do all that in a lot of places. It, you say, well, they'll never read it. Well, why print it? Yeah. But my, anyway, okay, okay, okay. I'm not in your, your shoes, so I get it. But my point is, you know, make your announcements concise and clear and let's get on to worshiping the Lord. Amen. And let's, let's have music that has been scheduled and prepared and many times, if you can, get the music in line with the theme and the subject of your message that you're going to preach. And let, let the whole focus be around the Word of God and the God of the Word. And, let them get, and don't let them get caught up with all the other things that are, that are killing the Spirit and the service. And, and I guess the only last thing I put there is our preaching needs to be prepared. And that's what I'm trying to get up to and say this to you. There needs to be time to exegete a passage so that you can exposit the passage. There needs to be time to meditate on the Word of God so that you can pour it out. Look, your people ought to go away thinking, my pastor had more material to cover than he had time. Amen. He had so much that he was trying to give us. And I, uh, I'm thankful for a pastor who dug into the Word of God. And there are times, when I, I'm, I'm in awe of pastors, and I, I, I ask almost every one of them that I'm with, are you in a series right now? Because honestly, I'm just fascinated with that privilege of being able to say, yeah, we're going through the book of, you know, Ruth. Oh, it's, man, it's great. must be so cool to be able to say on all right, we'll stop right there and pick it right back up next time. I can't do that. I, I get in and get it done and get out. That's why I preach so long. But I mean, I, I try to get too much covered in the service. My point is, I, it is wonderful that you, you in that place of shepherding, pastoring people, you have that opportunity to, to truly break a passage apart and, and, and just dish it out. You, you study it, you exegete it, and then you exposit it, meditate on it. And allow them to get the material that you've given for. So let's take a look at the prepared message. How am I doing? I'm not going to get all this done. How must we preach? Well, I've already covered some of this. It starts, what is the starting point? By the way, I think your note says, it says 1 Corinthians 4. That's 2 Corinthians 4. All right, that's a misprint there. And somehow or another, I didn't get that correctly sent to the office here. 2 Corinthians 4, 
verses 1 and 2. Uh, listen to what Paul said here. I'll just quickly read this to you in 2 Corinthians 4. He's talking about those in ministry and those who have service, any type of discipleship. He said in verse 1, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul was saying, we're handling the Word of God. Don't be deceitful with it. Don't squeeze things out of the Word of God that's not there. Just let, I mean, let the text talk. Let the text free. Let it go. And don't, don't, don't say, oh, i got a great idea of something I need, I need to preach. Now, can I get me a text and a passage for this thing? You start with the text, here's, here, but here's the starting point, all right? The starting point is this, the heart of the preacher. I've already said this, you've got to be right with God so that when you stand up representing the Lord God, you are, you are teaching and preaching from the overflow of being alone with God. Does that make sense? Any of, any of you ever, come on, this is Texas, any of y'all ever heard Lester Roloff when he, when he was going... Lester Roloff never knew what he was going to preach. I mean, that guy, if you ever heard him, he didn't know an outline from the man in the moon. He didn't know, and he was, but he was, he was uh, an anomaly. He really was. But I'm going to tell you something. You were fed and helped when he preached and challenged greatly. You know why? Because of the overflow. His walk with God was so deep and rich, and it was just so, so, so obvious. He, he, he was notorious for starting a story and he'd be halfway down the trip and then just drop it and move on to something else. And you go, oh, whatever happened to that rabbit? You know, I mean, he's halfway down the trail with something. I don't know what got me on that. The starting point is the heart of the preacher. Back in Romans, <laughs> I was chasing a rabbit. Uh, in Romans 2, listen to what Paul said. Uh, in, in chapter 2 and verse 17 to 22, uh, let's pick it up in verse 20. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Paul is just saying... It starts with you, the proclaimer. You've got to be right with God if you're going to help anybody else to be where they need to be. Do you remember when uh, the Shunammite, the woman of Shunam came? She, uh, Elisha had told her, you're going to have a child about this time a year from now. And, and then the boy was born and so forth. Do you remember when he was probably, I don't know, four or five years of age, he was out watching his dad um, uh, during the time of harvest, and he probably suffered a sunstroke, passed out, and died. He was rushed into his mother's presence. She took that dead, lifeless body upstairs to the prophet's chamber and put that little lifeless boy's body on the bed. And she told a servant, let's go, I need to find Elisha. And she takes off, you know the story, they take off. And when Elisha and his servant Gehazi see her coming, uh, they hear her urgent plea. The boy you told me I was going to have, he's dead. 
He's and what does Elisha do? Out of compassion, out of concern, he looks at probably the younger man, Gehazi, and he says, take my walking stick and rush back to the house. You'll get there before I will and just lay that stick on the boy's body to bring him back to life. And the woman of Shunem said, I'm not sufficient with him. I need you, man of God. You've got to come. And they come back to her home. What happens? Gehazi gets there first. He lays a dead, hard stick on the body of that kid. Nothing happened. But when Elisha got there, he touched him. And the boy's body was brought to life. Okay, there's a lot of truth that we can learn. That's a great miracle from the Lord. There's no question about it. But a lot of times, if all we do is dump things like a cold, hard stick on people and just say, here's a bunch of facts, here's a bunch of truth, there's no new life that's going to come from that. There needs to be that personal touch of the heart of the proclaimer, be it a lady, be it a man, who's going to give out from your heart, from your heart to their heart, from the overflow. So there's some considerations. What should we consider? Well, first of all, you need to consider the setting. By that I mean this. Are you speaking in a Sunday school class? Are you speaking in the morning service, church service? Are you speaking in the evening service? Are you preaching and teaching primarily to adults? Adults and young people? Is it a children's session, service, gathering, vac vacation Bible school? Okay, all those, you got, in your preparation, obviously, it may, it may sound like a no-brainer, but you've got to keep all those settings in mind. I mean, I preach differently on a Sunday morning than I do on Sunday night. Now, I don't mean my style, but I, I, I probably have more lost people show up on a Sunday morning than Sunday night. You pastors know this. There was a day when that was reversed. You know that in America? Uh, uh, many pastors preached evangelistically on Sunday night because the farmers and those guys who had worked all hard morning long were able to come to church on Sunday night. Interesting. But now, it's, it's a lot of times somebody will come to church on Sunday morning who doesn't know the Lord. Does that mean lost people don't come Sunday night? You know the answer is, is no. Of course they could be there. But my point to you is I'm going to preach somewhat differently Sunday morning. And in my study and in my preparation, I've got to keep that in mind. So consider the setting. Number two, consider the time frame, which is hard for me to talk about, but it's there. <laughs> Am I going to have 30 minutes? Am I going to have an hour? Am I going to have 45 minutes? What am I going to have? You've got to consider all that in your preparation. Uh, you've got to you consider the time frame. What am I dealing with in my time? So in my, in my study, I've got to get through the introduction and get into the house and get on with the structure itself. A lot of us, a lot of us, and I said us, starting with me, we spent a long time on the front porch trying to get in the door, you know, laying the foundation and groundwork and trying to get, you know, that's important, the introduction of a message, but get on in and get into the message and, and, and get to it. And you got to remember your time frame. Consider the time frame. Number three, con consider the, the known crowd. Do, am I going to have lost people here? Are there going to be uh, saved people? By the way, I don't, no, no pastor knows uh, if someone's lost or not. I understand that. Uh, and, and I'm going to say this in a little bit, but gospel needs to always be given. 
I mean, gospel is something that someone could be sitting there who's acting like they're a Christian. They've lived. The, Judas was around Jesus all the time. And we, we could have them sitting right there in that church service. Every time they're hearing the clear gospel, it could be that next, that next time that they'll be drawn to the Savior. So always make sure the gospel's given. But consider the crowd you're dealing with. Um, and then, you know, in that crowd, you may have people who are thriving and growing. I've been in a few churches in which, honestly, it was, it was tangible. You could almost see people leaning forward, hanging on, hungering for the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. And it wasn't just because of, I, it because of me. It, they did that with their pastor. They did it. I mean, they're just, they're all first-generation Christians. And they're just, and I, I need this. Are those rare, rare situations? Sad but true. But then there are those who are many times lethargic. I've heard this all my life. Yeah, I know this. What do y'all want to eat for lunch today? I hate to even bring that up right now, but you know, I mean, you, you, you got to consider the crowd. And then number four, consider the themes. Are you going through a book study, a doctrinal series? Maybe it's during the season. You're about to hit the seasonal times. <laughs> Out come the shepherds again. Here we go. Christmas and uh, Mary and, and, uh, and uh, Joseph. You're going to have to pull out those Christmas themes, you know. And, and of course, Thanksgiving. Those are, those are great messages. But, you know, you may, you may have to set your series aside in order to, for that seasonal time. There may be times in which you want to break loose from your uh, series and just deal with a topic for three, four weeks, whatever. You say, what do you mean? How about trends of the times? You know, our people are probably saying, Pastor, what are we doing about all this uh, transgender stuff going on? How do I, what are we supposed to do? Well, you may have to do some digging and studying and find out what, what's being taught in our school systems and what's being going on in the world and then just try to help people learn how to love people. And stand for truth all at the same time. You know, tr trends of uh, of uh, how to ha how to handle social media and 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 uh, how to use it for the glory of God. You know, just go through three or four weeks of dealing with a topic like that to help your people. You know, that's just an idea. Consider some themes to be used. Number three, I'm going to talk to you about effective preaching. Boy, oh boy. Number three, effective preaching. Let me say this to you before I start looking at the letters here. Uh, can I encourage you to read great preaching? Read other sermons. I've got a son who reads a sermon of Charles Spurgeon every day. I said, kid, I said, what are you, I, really? He goes, yeah, dad. He said, man, he says, it's just, it's just so good. Now, that's not the only preacher he reads, but, and I would say to you, don't get stuck with just one preacher. But you can learn a lot. When you're reading about other preachers, you, you can, and even listening to, and we live in a day you can pull up sermons and listen to several good preachers who handle the Word of God. Learn how they transition from point to point, how they gather their thoughts and put them together. Uh, uh, be a good reader, be a good listener, and follow their, uh, their outline thoughts and how they use their voice range. And I don't know of anything else that can help you to be an effective preacher then just preach as often as you can. And just, just preach as many times as you can. You want to get better at golf? What do you do? You play golf. 
as often as you can, right, Brother Earl? I wish I could be as good as you are. Uh, you want to learn how to play the piano? Practice. You got to keep at it. You want to be a better preacher? Keep preaching. You know, it's the funniest thing. I spent an entire year fighting cancer. And when I was getting back on the trail to start preaching, you know, I honestly had the thought, can I still do this? I hadn't done it in a year. It's like riding a bike. Got back on it and just took off with it again. Practice preaching and stay with it. So preach it. Preach expositionally. What do I mean? Well, let the text talk. Determine what the text is saying. Let me give you several thoughts about that. I haven't got to... uh, Yeah, number one, determine what the text is saying. Um, Read the passage several times. Read it several times. Uh, Who was it? Uh, Robert Murray McShane recommended that anybody who's going to preach needs to read a text 50 times. Well, I don't know if any of us have done that, but you know, we live in a day in which you can, I've got a, I've got a Bible app in which I can listen to someone reading the scriptures and I can sit there and just turn it on and let him read it to me. And then I'll sit down and I'll read it at my own pace and I'll go through it. Through. It's amazing how this book will continue to penetrate your heart the more you listen to it. Read what the text, read the passage several times. And then the passage you're going to preach on, can I encourage you to diagram the sentences? I don't want to turn this into a grammar class, but diagram the sentence. Follow the verbs. Find out what are, what are the action verbs. What are they leading me to? Uh, how is the theme developed in this passage? I wish I could take time to show you some things uh, about that, but let's, let's just keep moving. Gentlemen, ladies, maybe I'm a dinosaur. But I personally, I get an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and I write it out. You say, you know, you can do this on the computer. Yeah, and sometimes I've done that, but I will write out uh, certain thoughts as I'm reading through and I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll write those things down. What I don't, what's, what's happening to me when I begin to write those things down is I start formulating sections in this passage that's going to give me my outline and it's going to break it down for me and I'm going to see how it all fits together and I'm going to get I'm going to get the one big idea in this passage as I begin to write down uh, these thoughts as I diagram sentences I take notes on each phrase and honestly I'll let's take a sheet of paper maybe two or three pages and on one phrase in that verse and I'll just write down thoughts that I've got on that one phrase. Then I'll turn the page over on my notebook and I'll take the next phrase and I'll write notes all the way down. Now, do all those notes get into my sermon? No. Because in a moment, in a little while, I'm going to take all this compilation of stuff I've written down and things that I have gotten and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to begin to write down the, the actual sermon, its outline itself. Find the key words. Words that are repeated in the text. Sometimes you, you want to look at that word and see how the author used it in other sections of his book, of his letter. So determine what the text is saying. This is the exegesis. Number two, recognize the setting. Here we go again. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, who's the author of that book? You know, who is it? That, that, that 
that helps me in knowing what I'm going to say about the message. If it's Peter, all right, there's some things I need to say about Peter. If it's Mark, there's some things I can bring to my understanding from the life of Mark and what he said here. So, uh, the author, how about the, the date in which it was written? The historical context. Peter wrote people that were under heavy persecution in his two epistles, First and Second uh, Peter. Right, that, that plays into your understanding historically of what he's saying. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, as ye are partakers of the Lord's suffering. Okay, all right. What was he saying? Well, he was saying, look, folks, I know you're suffering. I know you're hurting, and the underground church is meeting. Think it not strange. So that puts it all in its historical setting when you're going through that. Then, check... The commentaries. I personally don't go straight to the commentaries. Now, you, you may have a different uh, process. I'm just telling you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig everything I can out, let the Spirit of the Lord help me as much as can. But then I go, I read the commentaries. I'll tell you what, you know, the commentators will help me make sure I'm not an idiot and make sure I'm not running off on some rabbit trail or something that, uh, you know, that I've squeezed out of the text. It's just not there, you know. It just helps me stabilize my direction. Okay, I must be thinking wrong. Okay, yeah, I see what he's saying. And then this guy's saying it too. There's some commentators that are very, very uh, heavy doctrinally. And there's some that are very practical. In this day and age and the way in which I live, I, I travel, I've got my whole library right here on, a, on an iPad. It's incredible what you can pull up and, and study these days. Check the commentaries. They're not a substitute for personal study but they'll make sure you're not being absurd. And then number four, meditate on the passage. I, I do this many times. After I have gathered my thoughts and gathered my material, I go out for a walk and I talk out loud what I've been studying. Make sure i got a handle on this thing. Well, all that is, all that is, is exegesis so far. That's the, that's the digging it out. The exposition comes next. Uh, suppose you walked inside your house and up on the kitchen counter your wife has put eggs, flour, sugar, butter, and, and other things. And you go, what's going on here? And she says, that's the ingredients for the mother of all cakes. I'm going to make you a cheesecake like you've never had in your life. That's all the ingredients. Are you going to say, oh, well, let, me, let me have some of this right now? No, that's just the ingredients. She's going to compile it together and make it cook together and then present it to you. A diver goes down deep in the water and he comes back out with dirty jewels. He's found somewhere in the crevices of the ocean. He comes out with all that he's found. But he gives it to a jeweler and he carves and shapes it and works it and makes it into a beautiful necklace. That's the difference between exegesis and exposition. You, you got all the ingredients of a meal, but now you got to cook it together, bring it together. You got the jewels that you've dug out of the scriptures, but now it's got to be made into that which is attractive and helpful to people. And that's exposition. Well, 
Uh, I told you we weren't going to finish it, and so I'm, I'm done. I got, I've got to quit because your stomachs are going to outgrowl my voice here in a minute, so I need to, I need to quit. Um, I just said here, preach expositionally. You've got, you've got some highlighted things there. Preach evangelistically. Make sure you always give the gospel. I mean, always. Make sure the gospel's given. Many people are religious, but they're lost. See, if you want that, preach exhortively. Exhortively. In other words, call for a decision. Give hope to a hopeless world. Paul said in Romans 1 and verse 11, he said, I long to see you that I may impart unto you. I long to see you. And when he says, I am ready to preach the gospel, he was saying, I'm leaning forward. I'm longing to get this message out. Preach with exhortation. If you're bored, they're going to be bored. If you don't like your subject, they're not going to enjoy it. Letter D, preach energetically, which is similar, but I would have loved to have heard George Whitfield preach. Man, pictures and things I've read about him historically, he was a fireball. Thousands of people would gather to hear him. One lady was so far away, she was moved by his preaching. She was saying, oh, oh. She was making sounds of conviction, and a lady standing next to her said, you can't even hear him. How can you be feeling this way? She said, look at the godly wag of his head. That's energy. Now, was he preaching truth? He was a evangelistic Bible preacher, no question about it. And then finally, preach expectantly. Go to the Word of God and proclaim it, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Let me finish with this. There are probably several books that you could read on preaching that many of you would recommend. I wrote down some titles, and maybe uh, uh, these are books that have helped me, and that might be a help to you. Uh, John Stott's book called Between Two Worlds is a great book on preaching. Um, uh, uh, Spurgeon's Lectures to My Students, incredible book, obviously written when Spurgeon uh, was alive and he was preparing preachers. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Preaching and Preachers, a wonderful book. It's it's worth rereading if you've read it before, Preaching and Preachers. And then this is a very interesting book called Preaching with Freshness. It's it's a fictional story written written by a man by the name of Lawrence Mahoney. He takes the story of a pastor who's about to be released and let go from his church because he has gotten to where he's boring and uh, and they don't want him anymore. And he he gets reacquainted with a seminary professor. and, and that seminary old retired guy starts investing in his, in his young preacher friend once again and just reminds him of the basics of preaching, of what preaching's all about. And uh, it's a great book, Preaching with Freshness. It's sort of one of those page turners. You can't put it down. Many other things we could talk about, lives that have been changed through preaching. Your life's probably been changed through a sermon through the years. I know mine has as well. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now as we get ready to take off for the next movement of things, I pray that you'll help us to biblically proclaim your truth. Take the exhortations that we've looked at here today and may it be applicable to all of our lives and may we be better communicators, yes, but dependently upon God, Spirit-controlled men and women handling your Word. Use us to reach lives. We ask it in your wonderful name.